Today we're going to finish up uh, Jonah and look at Jonah chapter 4. You know, if, we, if uh, this book was to be turned into a movie, it would not be a Hallmark movie. First of all, you wouldn't have ugly fish in a Hallmark movie, you know, but it's not just that. It's that this book goes too far. It would ruin the movie. Because the Hallmark movies, the guy gets the girl, the girl gets the guy, everything works out, and everything's really, you just feel good at the end of the movie. You don't really feel quite so good at the end of this book because it leaves some unresolved questions in regard to Jonah's faith and his trust in the Lord. Because it doesn't really tell us how he resolves the conflict that he's having with God. And so for that reason, it would not make a good movie. If it was only three chapters, that would be a better movie. Because, you know, all the Ninevites come to Christ, come to the Lord, receive God's forgiveness, mercy. But when you get to chapter 4, you're like, oh my goodness, it's not over. The battle between Jonah and God is still going on, and it's not over. See, you and I often live in the dark when it comes to the sovereignty of God. Let me say that again, and please let this sink in. You and I often live in the dark when it comes to the sovereignty of God. The Bible tells us in 1 Corinthians 13 that we see through a glass how? Darkly. It means you can't look through the glass and see everything on the other side of the glass and interpret it properly because we don't have that ability. But yet we, we attempt to do that and when we can't do it, we get frustrated and we get upset with God that we can't see and make sense out of everything in life. Let me give you an example. And these are just examples from my own life experience of people that I've been in contact with through my life. I do not understand why God would allow a drunk driver to rear-end a Christian couple and kill the wife and spare the husband. I do not understand why God would allow a godly pastor of a mega church to develop ALS in the prime of his ministry. I do not understand why God would allow a young Christian mother of seven to be struck with leukemia and die six months later and the husband be left to raise the children alone. I do not understand why God would allow two teenagers in college who love the Lord to be brutally murdered for no apparent reason other than someone wanted to take out their anger on someone. I do not understand why God would allow a Christian who was a captain airline pilot to be struck with dementia at around 52 years of age and spend years in a nursing home before he died in his early to mid-60s. And I still remember the day that he came into the church to tell me his driver's license was taken away. So when we wrestle with the sovereignty of God, and you have maybe people in your life or maybe in your own life, if you are honest, the sovereignty of God maybe does not sit well with you today. Because you have unresolved things in your life that you can't make sense out of. You're looking through the glass. It's dark. It doesn't make sense. And you're really not happy with God. Because that's where Jonah was. When you look in chapter 4, it says Jonah 
was greatly displeased and became angry. This doesn't mean that, you know, he was upset because the kids spilled the milk and he had to clean it up. No. He was angry to the point that he no longer wanted to live. That's the kind of anger. He was at the end of his rope. Everything was hopeless. Everything was dark. I'm checking out. That's where he was at with the sovereignty of God. But I want to remind us about the sovereignty of God. Holman Illustrated Bible Dictionary says that Scripture emphasizes God's rule in three areas. Creation, human history, and redemption. Scripture testifies clearly to God's rule over his creation, including Christ sustaining and governing all things. The Bible also affirms God's rule in human history according to his purpose. From ordinary events in the lives of individuals to the rise of affairs and falls of nations. Scripture depicts redemption as the work of God alone. God, according to his eternal purpose, takes the initiative in the provision and application of salvation and in enabling man's willing acceptance. Here's where we wrestle, though, is between the sovereignty of God and the evil of man. The Bible does not explain the relationship between divine sovereignty on one hand and evil on the other. It does teach us, though, that God neither does evil nor approves of evil. Rather, he allows it, he restrains it, he judges it, he uses it for the good of his children and the fulfillment of his purpose. But yet here we see a prophet of God who is given an assignment. God, and he's successful in the assignment on the second time, and yet he's angry. So the first thing we see is, it's not going to advance. You might have to advance that for me. It's not moving, Anthony. Is Jonah's anger. Jonah's anger. Jonah felt justified in his anger. He felt good about his anger. He had a right to be angry. And whenever I've come across angry people, they usually feel kind of good about it in a sense of, I have a right to be angry. I have a right to be angry with God because he allowed this. And we forget that we live in a fallen world. Who was the one that violated God's law? Was it God or was it man? We violated God's law, and therefore we are paying the price and reaping the benefits of that disobedience. So who really should we be angry with? But yet people feel justified in their anger. Francis de Sales said this, there was never an angry man that thought his anger unjust. We feel justified in our anger. Anger, though, demonstrates a failure. Listen to this. Anger demonstrates a failure to trust in God's sovereignty. Spurgeon said, men will allow God to be everywhere except on his throne. They will allow him to be in his workshop to fashion the world and make the stars. They will allow him to sustain the earth and bear up the pillars thereof, or light the lamps of heaven or rule the waves of the ever-moving ocean, 
But when God ascends his throne, his creatures gnash their teeth. But it is God upon his throne that we love to preach. It is God upon his throne whom we trust. And it is God upon his throne of whom we've been singing about this morning. And if he wasn't on his throne, I would not want to be here. I don't know about you. I would not want to be on this earth if God was not on his throne, reigning and ruling. And so he reminds us, the psalmist reminds us about evil. Jonah is upset with the evil, the Ninevites who caused a lot of suffering and heartache to the Israelites. He's upset. He's angry with God. But here's what the psalmist reminds us of. Let me back that up. Fret not yourself because of evildoers. Be not envious of wrongdoers. For they will soon fade like the grass and wither like the green herb. So he says, trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and befriend faithfulness. Jonah did not believe God was just in forgiving the Ninevites. He believed God should destroy them. And if God wasn't going to destroy them and bring judgment on them, he did not want any part of it. You may be sitting here this morning and you say, you know what? God is not just in his dealings because he allowed someone to abuse me physically or emotionally. God is not just because I had to grow up with a father or a mother who did not love me and guide me. God is not just in his dealings because he took a loved one from me. God is not just because I know this guy sleeps with his girlfriend and he's the star on the basketball team and there's no punishment. See, we can look at all those things through the lens, but we are looking through a glass darkly and he says that the wicked will be cut down soon. We have to keep that in mind. We live in a fallen world. God is not just because I have health issues and I know people who don't give God the time of day and they have excellent health. God is not just because I know people who are wealthy and God blesses them even though they take his name in vain. And see, this was the attitude of Jonah. Do we not sometimes adopt that same attitude? Look down in verse 2. So he prays to the Lord in his anger. Now, I don't know about you, but when you pray when you're angry, <laughs> do you really pray wanting to know the will and heart of God? Or are you more interested in God knowing your will and your heart? And that's kind of where Jonah was, because look what he prays. He prays to the Lord. O oh Lord, is this not what I said when I was still at home? That is why I was so quick to flee to Tarshish. I mean, and he makes haste to Tarshish. I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. In other words, what I want you to see here is how full of self Jonah is. Look at the eyes. Oh Lord, is this not what I said? When I was yet in my country, that is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish, for I knew that you are a gracious God. He's full of himself. And people that are angry are full of themselves. 
That's why they can't see God. They're full of themselves. And they're not seeking God. They're angry with God. God is not sovereign. God is not just. And therefore, I'm angry. Have you ever thought that the pain that you are in, God wants to use to soften your heart and not harden it? To soften your heart toward his sovereignty and toward his mercy. Because he is a gracious and merciful and slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. But you see, Jonah had all the answers. His prayer was not asking God anything. He was informing God of the reasons why he did not go to Nineveh in the first place. God, see, the reason I really didn't go to Nineveh is it's your fault. (laughs) It's your fault I didn't go to Nineveh. You're the reason. Because I knew what you were going to do, and therefore I wasn't going to do it. And he blames God. Do we, are we guilty of blaming God? Look what Oswald Chambers says. There are times, says Jesus, when God cannot lift the darkness from you, but trust him. God will appear like an unkind friend, but he is not. He will appear like an unnatural father, but he is not. He will appear like an unjust judge, but he is not. Keep the notion of the mind of God behind all things strong and growing. See, Jonah blames God for his disobedience, saying, God, it's your fault I ran the other way. I knew you weren't going to follow through with bringing judgment. And he fails to take personal responsibility for his behavior. For a person to develop spiritual maturity in his or her life, we have to be willing to take responsibility for our demeanor, our decisions, and our direction in life. First, our demeanor. I have counseled with people who come in and are angry and upset at the sovereignty of God, And they're not approachable nor teachable. They're having a pity party. And they don't want anybody to reign on their party. Don't tell me how to get out of my pity party because I like feeling sorry for myself. I like the attention. Self-pity is often attention-seeking behavior. They attempt to control other people with their mopey attitude. Well, if I mope enough, maybe people pay attention to me. Now, I'm not going to give you any names, but one of our children, when they were young, would mope. You know, sit there on the couch, lower their head, get a sad face. And so we we knew they were moping. And the answer was, you can mope all day long if you want to, but it's not changing our mind because you're not going to manipulate us. And the moping stopped. And I wonder, isn't that what Jonah was trying to do? I'm just going to kind of mope. And as I mope, maybe God will change his mind. I'll just mope. I'll get angry with God and, and, until God changes his mind and does something. And so Jonah mopes. Our demeanor is pretty important. When we come into church and even receive the word of God, what is our demeanor? 
Is our heart open or are we already closed and we have a, we just hung a do not disturb sign on the door of our heart. God, I like my anger. I'm comfortable with my anger. Do not disturb me. That's kind of where Jonah was at. And God has to get his attention. Not only our demeanor, but what about our decisions? Often, people will run from people who want to help them, and then they criticize the people they run from, saying, well, they don't really care about me. And the truth of the matter is, they have run from the people who want to help them, and then they turn around and blame the person for not helping them. You close people out of your life, and God wants to use people in your life to help you. Jonah runs away. Self-pity. Decisions. They avoid people, or they avoid talking about their anger because they don't want to give it up. Jonah's self-pity. I didn't get uh, the person that said this, but I thought it was a really good quote. Self-pity weeps on the devil's shoulder, turning to Satan for comfort. That's what self-pity does. His invitation is this, come unto me, all you that are grieved, peeved, misused, and disgruntled, and I will spread on the sympathy. You will find me a never-failing source of the meanest attitudes and the most selfish sort of misery. At my altar, you may feel free to fail and fall, and there to sigh and fret. There I will feed your soul on fears and indulge your ego with envy and jealousy, bitterness and spite. There I will excuse you from every cross, duty and hardship, and permit you to yield unto temptation. What does Jonah's self-pity lead him toward? Irrational thinking. Let's look. He knows God's gracious. So what's he do in verse 3? Now, O Lord, take away my life, for it is better for me to die than to live. That's irrational thinking. That's not God's plan. And we can see this also, the same irrational thinking in the life of King Saul toward his son Jonathan. Let me just look at it here real quick. Saul's anger was kindled against Jonathan, and he said to him, You son of a perverse, rebellious woman, do I not know that you have chosen the son of Jesse to your own shame and to the shame of your mother's nakedness? For as long as the son of Jesse lives on the earth, neither you nor your kingdom shall be established. Therefore, send and bring him to me, for he shall surely die. Irrational thinking on Saul's part. Irrational thinking on Jonah's part. When you get angry, does reason go out the window? Do you allow your emotions to control your behavior? Do you place expectations on God that are unrealistic? Jonah misunderstood the mercy of God. He totally misunderstood it. God providing the fish. 
God providing the wind and God providing everything. And we're going to see later, he provides even more for Jonah. And he totally misunderstands the mercy of God. And look what God does. How does God respond to his mopey attitude, his irrational thinking? In verse 4, but the Lord replied, have you any right to be angry? He could have just told him, Jonah, you're way out of line. And I'm going to bring judgment on you. But he says, no. He, he questions him. And you see, God's question is designed to uncover jo Jonah's faulty thinking. So let me ask you a question. Do you allow God room to challenge your thinking? Do you give God room to work in your life or do you close him out and hang that do not disturb sign on your heart. Jonah was still holding out hope that God would come to his senses, swing his mighty arm of judgment, and wipe out the Ninevites. And he was going to have a front row seat to watch it all. Because next we see Jonah goes outside. He goes out and he sits down at a place east of the city. There was a higher elevation east of the city. And he makes himself a shelter sat in its shade and wanted to see what would happen to the city. So there he is. He's got a front row seat. Okay, God, I'm ready for the show. He, he's ready to see it. And God begins to still work in Jonah's life. He doesn't cut him off, but what does God do? His mercy. This is what we see next. Look down at verse 6. Then the Lord, God, provided a vine. Now here's a guy who's angry with God, and God still gives him this wonderful gift of a plant. He provides a vine, and he makes it grow up over Jonah, supernaturally to grow up overnight, to give shade for his head, to ease his discomfort, and Jonah was very happy about the vine. Of course he was. God was easing. But does he recognize the mercy of God? No. He doesn't see it at all. He did nothing to provide for the plant. God simply provided it in his mercy and grace. And he's trying to show Jonah, just as I provided a plant for you through my mercy and grace, so I have provided salvation for these people who don't know their left hand from their right hand. And he failed to see it in what God has provided. Jonah's glad about the plant, but he's sad and unconcerned about the people of Nineveh. He worships the creature, as it were, instead of the creator. He worships the gift instead of the gift giver who gave the gift of the plant. And he fails to see God's mercy. So then God provides a worm. Look next. But at dawn... In verse 7, the next day God provides a worm which chewed the vine so that it withered. When the sun rose, God provided a scorching east wind and the sun blazed on Jonah's head so he grew faint. He wanted to die and said it would be better for me to die than to live. He's still in his irrational thinking. After God provides all this for him, he's still thinking irrationally. He doesn't see God's provision of mercy. See, 
God's mercy is demonstrated in his provision. It really is. He gives us so many blessings. He puts so much into our life and we don't see it. God does not need to consult us to determine what we need. He does not need to ask us, what trials do I need to bring into your life to keep you humble? What discipline do I need to exercise to keep you in the path of righteousness? God doesn't ask those questions. He simply provides it. You know, and I can remember as a single guy, I was wondering, when is God going to provide a spouse for me? I mean, when's that going to happen, God? Because, you know, there's six kids in our family, and I have three brothers and two sisters, and they're all married, God. I'm second to the oldest. What's going on? And that's right where we live. And then you have couples that are infertile, and they see somebody who maybe isn't even in church, and they're having children, child after child after child. And it's like, what's up, God, with that? But does God not provide what we need? Does he not meet our needs? It would be good for you to go home and begin to write down the blessings of the Lord in your life. The blessings of the Lord and what he has provided. You see, I don't understand why God would allow me the privilege to be raised in a Christian home with Christian parents. And other children grow up in an abusive alcoholic home. It's God's mercy. I do not understand why God would take an infant baby home and would spare our son as a preemie. My counseling does not usually include talking with someone questioning why God would bless them so much. I don't have people knocking my door down and coming in and say, you know what, I need to sit down with you, Pastor, because I don't understand why God is so merciful toward me. Why does he give me this? Why does he bless me financially? Why does he bless my health? Why does he bless my family? Why does he bless my children and grandchildren? Why does God give me and give me and give me and give me? I don't understand and I, I, need, I need counseling. <laughs> I haven't had that. But I have had the other side. When they're going through a heartache and difficult, I don't understand why God is putting me through this. And both, both are the mercy of God. The hardship that I'm going through is to conform me to the image of Jesus. That's what he wants to do. He's not trying to give you a hard time. He loves you more than you can comprehend. He loves me more than I can comprehend. He's not giving Jonah a hard time. He's trying to say, Jonah, will you do understand the mercy that I've extended to you, I'm extending to these people. You don't deserve God's mercy and neither do they. It's simply my mercy. That's what I'm giving to you. We see God's mercy not only demonstrating his provision, providing a plant and a worm and a wind, but we see it demonstrated even in God. Whoa, don't leave yet. I don't know how that popped up. There was, I was thinking there was still another one there. <laughs> Don't leave yet. 
Um, it was also demonstrated in God's questioning. Look in verse 9. But God said to Jonah, Do you have a right to be angry about the vine? And look at his answer. Is this pride or what? I do. <laughs> I'm angry enough to die. He's still wrestling with God through this. He still doesn't grasp the mercy of God. But how many of us, we've been in church for years and years, I still don't grasp the mercy of God. And you know what will show the reality of me receiving the mercy of God? The reality of you receiving the mercy of God? You know how that is demonstrated in our lives? That we become mercy showers to other people who don't deserve it. Because I don't deserve it. This person that I, I, I don't really care to rub shoulders with, this person that irritates me, this person that smells, this person that doesn't look like me, act like me, sound like me, they're as pagan and as lost as can be, needs the mercy of God just as much as I need the mercy of God. And we, God has chosen for whatever reason these human vessels and channels to be channels of his mercy to the lost. I was torn last night because I had a phone call that somebody was in the emergency room and they wanted me to go see him and I was still working on the sermon and I'm torn. Do I go? Do I not go? And somebody needing mercy and there are so many needs it's a challenge and all of us need to be mercy showers if we have been recipients of God's mercy do you realize that's the sovereignty of God in your life who do we think we are that we question the almighty in his work in our lives instead of receiving it as the mercy of God. Even when I go through hardship, God is, he's wanting me to understand in a deeper way his love, his grace, his forgiveness, that I need him to make it. That's what he wants us to know. Jonah, you need me just like the Ninevites need me. That's what I need you to know, Jonah. Why has God blessed us so much? Why has he showered his mercy on us, his compassion, his care, his concern, his empathy? So that we can give it to others. Don't hold it. Give it away. Give God's mercy to someone who deserves it the least. Reach out to someone who you would not ordinarily reach out to because the mercy of God. You're looking at them through the eyes of mercy. How would God look at that person? Are they too far gone? That's what Jonah thought. Those people are too far gone. 
God said, no, they're not. They're not beyond my mercy. Let's bow together for a word of prayer. With our heads bowed and our eyes closed. How are you doing with the sovereignty of God in your life? Maybe you have been through a painful experience and because of that pain, you are angry with God. You know it and God knows it. But here's the bigger question. Do you want to do something about it? Or do you want to wallow in self-pity? Or will you say, you know what? I'm reminded this morning that I'm looking through a glass darkly. I don't see it all. I don't know it all. But there is a God in heaven who knows it all who sees it all, who comprehends it all. And I need to trust his mercy. I need to trust his sovereignty that he is in control and he will work all things for our good and for his glory. As the Apostle Paul said, God who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. Maybe you're here today and it's time to let go of the anger. It's time to turn it over to the Lord and say, God, this has been a horrible, horrible Experience that I've hung on to in my life that has kept me at a distance from you. But I want to release it today. I want to turn it over to you and say, God, I'm done with this. I want you to have it. And I want you to take off that do not disturb sign on my heart because I want you in my heart. Would you receive God's mercy for your situation? It is not beyond the mercy of God. God is able. Will you let go of that self-pity? Will you stop running from people who want to help you? And stop criticizing and blaming them for your predicament in life. God wants to help you. There are other people in this church that want to help you with your situation. But you've got to be willing to say, I need help. And humble yourself to receive God's grace and mercy. Maybe you're here today and you've never accepted Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. And you have things in your life that you know are not right. This would be the day, this would be the hour, this would be the moment that the mercy of God could invade your heart and put Christ on the throne of your life to rule and to reign. Jesus died for your sin and for mine. It was an act of mercy. We don't deserve it. He did it for us.
Would you receive his mercy today? And would you bow to his sovereignty? Say, God, I've been through some tough things. You know what? You're using it for my good. I think of the words of Joseph who said, in regard to his brothers, you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. He will bring good out of it if you let him. If you have questions or we can talk with you after the service in any way to pray with you, please seek me out. Or someone close to you, seek them out. Let's pray. We hope you've enjoyed today's message. If you would like to know more about Bethesda Church, you can check us out on the web by going to our website, which is BethesdaMB.org. That's Bethesda, M as in Mary, B as in boy, dot org. Or check us out on Facebook by searching for Bethesda Church of Huron. Have a blessed day.